0: Yes, Lord. Everything we have, we owe to you, direct response, result of you giving to us first, Lord. And as we turn to your word, we ask your spirit to continue to, to just fill us with wisdom for what we hear today, Lord. Let it resonate in our hearts, draw us closer to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. People who forget history tend to make the same mistakes over and over again. Um, Failure to study history causes us to make mistakes over and over again. If we learn from people who have gone before, if we learn from mistakes made, if we learn from successes made in the past, uh, whether it is uh, on the world stage or with technology, whatever it is, when we, when we build on that, we learn wisdom. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians 10 is appealing to the Corinthians to remember lessons from history. Remember things that had happened in the past. Um, the study of God in his relationship with Israel in times past um, reveals and builds up what is good and what is destructive, what works and what doesn't, what enslaves people, and what frees us and what pleases God, what brings judgment upon people, what brings rewards on people. So beginning in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Moreover, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, as were some. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents or nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. But with the temptation will also take, make, a way of escape, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can learn from it, that we can build our life upon it, that we can trust it and it changes our life. Lord, we just ask you to apply your word to our heart. And we ask you to speak to us and build us up spiritually tonight or today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. From Paul's words here, it seems like the church in Corinth felt like the fact that they had accepted Christ, that they had made a verbal uh, notation of that, that they had been baptized uh, and that they had partaken in communion, the Lord's Supper, They felt like it made them, or should make them, immune to the temptations of idol worship. Idol worship was all around them in that city. It was a huge focus uh, of those people. It was a huge focus in their life. You couldn't get away from it. It just, it smacked you in the face. Everywhere you went was the idol worship. And they felt like they should just be completely immune to it because they had gone through these, uh, these steps. They had gone through these um, these these uh, religious rituals that are, were a part of the corinthian church and and they 're still a part of what we do today we you know we make a a verbal declaration of belief in Jesus Christ, we get baptized, we take communion we do those things, um, but those things don 't make us immune to temptation those things don 't suddenly magically change us although we might wish they would but we're still tempted we're still tempted and uh from what i've heard you know talking to people who are a, a little bit older than i am it doesn't change as you get older you're still tempted it's just that the temptations change things that tempted you when you're 20 they don't tempt you when you're 60 it's just different but you still are tempted You still have problems with this body, with this human nature. You still have problems of of anger, have problems of jealousy, those kinds of things. Those are still, and you can call those temptations. Those are temptations to behave in a way that does not honor God. It doesn't uh, doesn't, uh, show us to be in a good light as Christians. Those things are still there. Verses one through five describe four privileges that the Israelites had that did not guarantee a blessing. When the children of Israel left Egypt they were guided by God by a cloud. They were guided by God by a pillar of fire. Uh, They crossed the Red Sea. God, God supernaturally provided a way for them to cross the Red Sea. Not only did He part the water, but He gave them dry ground to walk across. Um, They were eating manna and quail in the desert for the entire time that they were wandering in the wilderness. And God supernaturally provided them water. But none of these things, none of these experiences allowed the Israelites to go into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. There was only two. All of the others died. God wouldn't let them go into the promised land. He wouldn't let them, he wouldn't let them actually reach their destination. After Israel um, left Egypt, so God led them with a cloud by day and a pillar by night. You know, sometimes I've wished I had that. It'd be really helpful to me if, if God would lead me by some physical thing that I could see. Even better, something that I could touch. And yet, even though the Israelites had, had uh, the benefit of that, everybody could see it. it. It wasn't just a special few who could see it. They could all see that the pillar was moving or the cloud was moving. Follow the pillar, follow the cloud. But it, it didn't lead them into the promised land. It didn't lead them into the promised land because their life, their life as they were living it right then, it didn't please God, it didn't reach that level. Paul makes the association between the water of the Red Sea and the cloud, the cloud and the sea. He, he equates that to a kind of baptism. And he says, even though they went through that water, they still were tempted. And he's just saying, even though you've been baptized, it doesn't make you immune to temptation. It doesn't make you immune to idol worship. And idol worship is one of the, one of the uh, you know, it's, a, it's high on the list. It's high on the list of things that displeases God. Why? Because, because we're replacing God with an idol. We're replacing God with something. And you might be st- sitting there today. You might be saying, well, an idol is something made out of wood or made out of uh, marble or rock or something. And, uh, and, and it's shaped into some sort of a form of, of uh, you know, a person or an animal or something. I don't have that in my house. I don't, I don't worship that. And that's ridiculous. I would never worship that. But there might be something in your life that you've made an idol. You've made it more important than God, and you look to that thing, whatever it is. It, it gives you more pleasure to uh, engage in that in that activity, or to to whatever it is. Um, you know, to reach that. Sometimes it's sometimes it's achievement, isn't it? Sometimes people live their life to achieve um, something wealth, notoriety to achieve something and it replaces God that, that displeases God because nothing should come before God God should be first God should be top He should be tops in our life nothing should come between us and God and so uh, verses 7 through 10 they Paul recounts four ways that the Israelites were faithless and then subsequently suffered for their sin. Number one was idolatry. They kept worshiping idols in some way. Two was immorality. Three was testing God. And believe it or not, number four, number four is very specific about that. Number four is grumbling, complaining. Wow. Wow. Compared to idolatry, complaining seems like such kind of a minor thing, doesn't it? But, you know, it's showing that we're discontent with what God's providing. Now, you, you, might, you might be really good at keeping all those other things out of your life, keeping God first in your life, but, you know, and, and I've got to confess I'm guilty of this, you know, I'm like, God, you know, come on, I, 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 can, I, I deserve better than that. You know, don't I deserve better than that, God? You know, I'm in church every Sunday. Uh, I put something in the offering. I show up Wednesday night. I'm faithful, God. I'm right there. Don't I deserve something better than that? And God says, no. No, he says, I provided for you exactly what you needed. You know, the children of Israel, when they're wandering in the wilderness, they had manna, they had quail, and, uh, and they had water, that's pretty basic. And you know, as human beings, we like a little variety in our life. You know, I really like, I really like a bag of Doritos now and then, but I don't want Doritos every day. You know, I, I want some, something different. And uh, you know, I, I, like, I, I actually like vegetables. I eat quite a bit of celery and I like celery. And I typically eat one or two stalks every day. But every now and then I'm like, man, had enough of that. Give me a carrot. I just need some variety children of Israel were like that. The manna was okay. You know, we have no idea really what the manna was. We don't have, we don't have a clue what it tastes like. You know, when I envision it, I I sort of envision it as uh, kind of like maybe a small roll or something kind of a bread like thing, but I don't really know. I don't know what it tasted like, but it must have been okay. I don't, you know, God wouldn't have given them something that was horrible tasting. You know what quail would taste like. That sounds good. You know, so you have a little bread and a little meat and some water. But the problem was, is that they were used to the leeks and the garlic and all this stuff from Egypt, all of this flavorful, spicy stuff that they could cook with. And they weren't getting that. And they started grumbling. They started complaining. They were like, God. You know, where's the garlic? Where's the onions? Where's the other stuff? We had all this variety in Egypt and, uh, and pretty soon they were saying, you know what, life was better off enslaved to the Egyptians than what we have now. And yet God was trying to usher them into the promised land and they were complaining. They were complaining about that. God gave them everything that they needed. They didn't need for anything. Isn't that kind of like us today? You know, honestly, we're blessed in the United States. We're blessed. Uh, Even typically the poorer of us live better than 90% of the world. We have everything that we need. I can tell by looking at every single one of you that, that you get enough to eat. And probably with some variety, you know? And, and that's where the Israelites were at. They had enough, but they started looking back. They're looking back to what God had delivered them from. It's pretty easy to do when you're a Christian. You know, when you're a Christian and you've managed to, to see the truth, you've made a choice for Christ, you've, you've made those steps, you're moving forward, and all of a sudden you're missing what you had when you were worshiping the idol you're saying, wow, that, that was a good time. That was a really good time. And I really miss that. And I, I really miss those friends that I had back when I was doing that. And pretty soon, you're looking back more than you're looking forward. And that's what the Israelites did. And that is part of the reason why they never made it to the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. It wasn't until that next generation came up those children that were born while they're wandering in the wilderness, that next generation came up that they actually made it into the promised land. If you're equating that to, you know, to being saved, I'm not implying that those Christians or that those Israelites, that, that God didn't provide a way to heaven for them. I'm not implying that. I'm just saying that they didn't, they didn't achieve the promise that God had for them. You know, there's some, there's some who view uh, uh, God as uh, creating a person with the end in mind. You know, whereas this, this Christian is saved, this Christian is going to go to heaven, this Christian is going to have the very best that heaven offers, and this one over here is not even a Christian, will never become a Christian, and is destined for hell. That is not, that is not the situation. The Israelites very clearly had a choice in the matter. God gave them a choice. It's up to you what you do. God gives us a choice. God gives us a choice whether or not we're going to listen. Are we going to listen to what God says? Are we going to listen to His Word? Are we going to respond to His Word? Are we going to move forward rather than backward? Are, are we willing to leave the idols behind? Are we willing to walk away from them? Because God has something better. He has something better for us. But sometimes we can't see or maybe we can't comprehend what the better thing is. But we know very clearly what we had when we, had, when we were worshiping the idols. We know very clearly what that was. So are we going to trust in God and move forward or are we going to look back? Because whatever God has, you know, you could call it the promised land for yourself if you want to. But God has something for you, something in your future. And usually we can't see it. And I'm not just talking about, you know, when we leave this world, there's something in our future. But God has something in our future for us right now. God has rewards for us for serving Him right now. But they're not always clear. That's where faith comes in. We have to trust Him that He's guiding us in the right way that He's got something for us. There's a, there was a Christian couple that, um, <clears throat> that I knew that um, you know something happened to their family. It was something bad that happened to their family. And uh, what they said was, what they said was, you know, God should have protected us from this thing. God should have protected our family, because we both, you know, husband and wife, we both accepted Christ when we were a kid. Uh, we went to Sunday school. We were baptized. We took communion. We show up in church every Sunday. God should have protected us from this thing. paul is saying right here he's saying you cannot trust in this ceremonious part of what we do to save you from temptations to save you from life uh, jesus himself said in this life you'll have trouble and we do don't we we do every monday morning every monday morning i walk into the office and i'm like what is it going to be this week there's going to be something There's going to be something that comes up, some sort of an obstacle that we have to overcome, some sort of a problem that we have to overcome. And in your your personal life, there's something. There's always something. The fact that you come to church, that you're baptized, that you are verbal about your trust in God, that you take communion, none of those things are going to save you from life. Everybody has something. Don't ever feel like you're the only one. You know, one of, the, one of the biggest travesties of our modern world is social media. Why is that? Because people only post the good things on social media. You look at their life and you're just like, wow, they've got it all. Nothing bad ever happens. It was a year ago, a year ago, April 1st, when I tore both quadriceps. And I couldn't walk and I ended up in ER and had surgery the next day. You know what? I posted that on Facebook because I'm like, you all, all you, my friends, you're going to share in this. I'm going to tell you something that bad this happened. And, and I did, but you know what? Most people don't do that. Most people post a picture of themselves with a new car. They post a picture of themselves at dinner. How many pictures of food are online? It's like all people do is eat. But that they post the good things. Don't ever that's not real life, folks. That is not real life. Because everybody's got something and everybody's got something usually every week. There's something new. Right now I have two sinks at home that I need to fix. There's always something. That's just as life. That's just as how it goes. So being a Christian does not exempt us from life. That does not mean that you're not a Christian. That does not mean that God is not with you. Doesn't mean that at all. Some people are like, well, if I'm going to become a Christian and I still have all the problems that I did before, I, I don't want to do that. Well, you're missing the point. You're not seeing the big picture. What you're doing is seeing, you're seeing the immediate, but you're not seeing what God can do with you. And, and we can't see that because we can't see into the future. We don't know what God has for us. But I can tell you that it's good. I can tell you that it's really good. And if you stick with it for the long haul, the rewards are there. The rewards are there not only in this life, but they're there when we leave this life. Paul, Paul reaches back, to uh, you know, most of the church members in Corinth were Gentiles, but they had been they had been with the Christian Jews for so long that it was like God. God was or, uh, Paul was talking about them that they were in the family of God. They that they had been uh, they had been joined together. You know, back in that day, there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles, and the two kind of didn't mix, but when they became Christians, they left that behind. And Paul was talking about them like they had been integrated together, like they had been, like they had a common ancestry. And so uh, he's talking, he's 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 speaking to them about using that common background to learn from. Learn from this. He's saying, Gentiles, if you don't have that common that common background like the Jews do, realize that you're joined with them and you in a way share that common ancestry. So Paul is admonishing them to trust God for their provisions. Don't rely on on the ceremonies, don't rely on the fact that you, you serve God to expect that you're going to be immune things. God is interested in how we live our lives. And God provides for that. Sometimes people they also have the idea that, well, I'm a Christian and, uh, and I've gone through all the, the uh, I've gone through all the steps of being a Christian and so therefore I can go out and, and I can just do whatever I want to do because I know that the blood of Jesus covers me. But God's interested in how we live our lives. God wants to see us live our lives in a way that glorifies and honors Him, not in a way that is abusive of the blood of Jesus. So Paul gives a couple of statements here. He says, he says, uh, "Learn to desire what's good for you." That's sort of like having to eat your vegetables." You know, I, I like a lot of vegetables, but there are some that I don't really care for. There's some things that that are considered to be kind of an acquired taste. You know, there's some Filipino food that is definitely an acquired taste. I haven't reached there yet. I don't have that acquired taste. Paul is saying, if it's good for you, learn to like it. Try it. God, God has some things for us that he wants us to do, uh, that are not in our human nature. Would it ever be in somebody's human nature to, uh, take a little bit of time out of your day and stop doing everything, turn everything off and pray? Is that in your human nature? May I ask you this, is Satan ever going to tempt you to turn off everything? And to pray for a period of time in the day? Is Satan going to tempt you to do that? No. No, he's not. No, that's ridiculous. Nobody would say that. Even people who are not believers wouldn't say that. But God leads us in that direction. He says, take a little bit of time out of your day. That's one of those things that doesn't come naturally, but after you do it for a while, you learn to appreciate it. That's that's what Paul's talking about here. He also says, don't let anything replace God in your affection. That's the idolatry thing. Don't let that replace uh, God being foremost in your life. He says, put your personal lives into the context of love and commitment. What's that one? He's saying, don't live an immoral life. He's saying, he's saying find somebody that you love and marry them and be faithful to them and don't step outside the marriage love and honor your mate love and honor your spouse that glorifies God that honors God and then there is uh, trust God for our needs trust Him for our needs look to God for our needs you need a job pray about it you need a better job, pray about it, because God will lead you into the right thing sometimes it's a sometimes it 's a weird way that you go, but ultimately you get somewhere and you 're like i did, this is where God wants me and it may be a very strange position you know i 've done a few i 've done a few strange things in my life, but I know for every single one of those that I was exactly where God wanted me for that time. And it lasted for a while, and then it ended, and then there was something else. But I trust Him. I trust Him right now, that if if my situation ended right now, that God has something else. He would lead me into it. As long as I look to Him, as long as I keep my life centered on Him, I don't let anything get in the way between him and I. That he will take care of that. He will take care of exactly what I need. We need to be realistic about the trials that we're going to face. And understand that um, Paul says, let he who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall in the 12th verse. We need to be realistic about the trials that we face and understand that are especially for men, especially for men, because as a man, we're like, I got this. You know, especially if our wife is watching. Babe, I got this. Don't worry, I got this. I can do this. You know, I re- you know what I realized when I hurt myself last year? Because for about two and a half months, I, I couldn't get up by myself. I had to have help getting out of the chair. And I used a walker. Do you know how humiliating that is? That's humiliating. I suddenly realized, babe, I don't got this. I don't got this, babe. I need help. You know, for men, we don't want to ask for help. The most important thing we can realize, I believe, as men, is that we don't got this. We need help. We need God's help. We need big help. When we stop relying on ourselves and turn to God and ask God for help, everything changes. Paul is saying there, take heed lest you fall. Pride, pride, pride comes before the fall, doesn't it? There's a call to be humble. And to realize our own spiritual strength or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. I think it would be a big mistake to ever think that we ever grow enough spiritually that we've got this. Because we don't. We don't. There's always something bigger. No, we need to realize what God says is that, that temptations will come our way. But He's not going to let anything tempt us that we can't deal with. But he doesn't mean, that doesn't mean deal with it by ourselves, does it? It means deal with it with God's help. With God's help, we can overcome. With God's help, we can overcome anything because God won't send the really big things to us. But what you understand is as you grow in spiritual strength, as you grow in your ability to trust God and and put God in control, the temptation is going to get bigger. The trials are going to get bigger. They don't get smaller. If you're a Christian and you don't have any trials in your life, you better go check yourself. Because for some reason, Satan doesn't even feel like you're worthwhile to send a temptation your way. But if you're serving God, and if you're where God wants you, and you're working with God, if you're doing his will in the place where He's placed you, it's going to come at you. And it's not going to stop. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean the tough times, don't, the, the, the tough times stop. The Bible says that you look at the prosperity of the wicked and you despair. Why is that? Because you're looking at somebody and you're like, wow, they are the most pagan person that I know. And look at what they've got. They've got the big house. They've got the toys. They're traveling. What's up with this? God, I'm over here serving you. I'm over here, you know, working, trying hard to submit myself to you and to stay humble and to look to you for guidance. And, and I'm praying and I'm, I want to be right where you want me, God. And why do they have all of that? And I have this. But you know what? They don't have God. They don't have Jesus. The devil doesn't even think that they're worth sending anything their way. Because they're not a problem. They're not a threat to Satan, are they? They're not a threat to the kingdom. If we're serving God, and if we're doing what it is that he wants us to do, we're bolstering the kingdom. We're helping build the kingdom in whatever way it is that God's put in front of us. And Satan doesn't like that. Satan's going to throw everything he can at you. And you need God to deal with it. You need God to stand with that. You know, it's easy for Christians to to build these straw men. Um, And, and, you know, uh, we recognize that there are demons that inhabit this world as well as us. They're very real. We can't see them, but we can see the influence that they have sometimes christians they want to they want to just you know they want to say well if if I speak against the demon and I use a platitude here, a verse there, you know that the demon will just fall, not really, not really that kind of thing takes God that kind of thing takes God to withstand and and just simply just simply reading some verses and saying, well, I've done, I've, I've done my part. See, that's the problem is that you're, you're thinking you did it yourself. You're thinking that you took this action and, and it solved the problem. But what did God do? Did you involve God in that? That's, that's a little bit of pride there. Pride is such a dangerous thing. Pride is really a dangerous thing. We need to be realistic about the temptations and understand that, you know, you cannot just wait until you're in the middle of a problem or a temptation to call on God. You need to be prepared. You need to do that every day. You need to wake up in the morning and say, I need you, God. I need you today. I don't know what's going to come of me today, but I need you. I need you to show up. I need you here to deal with this, because I can't. When you get that recognition, things change. I can't do it, but He can. And I want Him with me. God's not going to be with you if you don't invite Him. If God is unwelcome in your life, He's going to say, "Okay, you don't want me in your life. It's your choice. We have a choice. Don't ever think we don't have a choice. And it's something, honestly, it's, it's something that we make every day. It's a decision that we make every day. I'm going to walk with God today. I want God in my life today. And if God directs you away from something, turn away from it. Because it's not for you. If God directs you towards something, turn towards it. You might look at it, you might say, "Wow, why, 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 why am I going there? What is this for me? I, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Go anyway. Go anyway, because God has something there for you. Maybe He's going to use you in some way in that place. So, trials are common to everyone. Um, people going through difficult times. Paul gives his readers a couple of words of assurance there about trials and temptations. Uh, The first one I've already mentioned, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able in verse 13. And then there's a statement uh, that's found in other places about um, God filling our strength and meeting our weakness. And Paul assures us that in the temptations that we have, God will make a way of escape. It says God will make a way of escape. What do you have to do? You have to take it. There again, there's another choice. You know, sometimes people, they're like, oh, I fell into temptation and oh, couldn't do anything. Did you want to do anything? No, you were enjoying it. You were enjoying that tempt. Let's be honest about it. You enjoyed it. You didn't want to take the way of escape. God gives you a way out. And I firmly believe that when we're in a situation where we really need to get out of it, we need to leave that, the Holy Spirit will tell you that. The Holy Spirit will tell you to leave. But you have to listen. You're the one running your feet. You're the one moving your feet. And it's, it's kind of like that old joke, you know, feet don't fail me now. Get me out of here. But we have to be willing to do it. and Too often, people are enjoying it. They're enjoying whatever it is that they're caught in. So verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, as though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying? That an idol is anything or what is offered to the idols is anything. Rather, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So Paul starts talking about the dangers of overestimating your own strength. You know, saying that I've got this myself. I don't need God. I don't need help with this. This is a simple little thing. Paul is saying, don't make the mistake of overestimating how strong you are. he's saying that there is an incompatibility of being a Christian and worshiping an idol. Remember back in chapter 9 that the Corinthians were going to the temple and they were having temple dinners there. This is the worship of the idol. This is the temple to the idol. They were having dinners there. and Paul, Paul told them, he said, that's just food. That's just drink. It doesn't matter whether you eat it or not. But the problem was, is that in some ways, they were participating in that idol worship. They were participating in it in a strange way. And he's saying, just don't do that. Are you free to do that? Yes. You're free. You have complete freedom. But it's better if you don't. And so Paul is telling them that you need to completely separate yourself from the worship of idols. He even says here, separate yourself from the people who worship idols. Now you can imagine that if you were involved in that idol worship, that probably most of your friends were also involved in that idol worship. Most of your friends were going to that temple. They were engaged in everything that went on there. And so when you left... What did you also leave? You left your friends, you left them behind. You know, sometimes that's hard, isn't it? It's hard for me, it's hard for me. I don't have like a lot of really close friends. I just don't. And so if I have to separate from a really close friend, it kind of hurts. It's not easy, it's difficult. But Paul is saying you have to separate yourself completely from the worship of idols. And you can imagine that like today, if you were involved in something really big, you know, really big, um, it, it's, a, it's a hobby that is probably expensive and, and it's a big part of your life. And you have all those friends in there and you realize that that is an idol for you. God makes it clear to you, you need to leave that behind. So if you leave that behind, but you stay friends with all of your friends, and every time you're together, all they talk about is that thing, whatever it is. That's all they ever talk about. You're going to be tempted to go back into that? You sure are. Yeah, you are. Because you're going to miss it. There's some sort of a camaraderie that develops in those kinds of things. There's a camaraderie that that you miss if you leave it behind. And there's a connection, there's a special connection that people have with friends who are involved in the same thing. You know, you may not have anything else in common, but you have that in common and that's what directs your life. That's what you think about. That's what you talk about. And so, Paul is saying, if you're going to separate yourself from idol worship, you have to leave that behind. You know, the Israelites, various times actually, they wanted to be like other nations. And even in their religion, even in their worship to God, they wanted to be like other nations. You know, at one point they wanted a king. God was their king. But they wanted a king they could see. They wanted a king that was physically there. And God God gave them that. But it was a step down. Because what God had provided them for them in the beginning, what God had had, uh, initiated for them was the best. They gave up the best for something worse, for something better. We don't want to do that. We don't want to trade something that is great for something that is substandard. You know, it may not look like it's substandard to us, but we're not seeing it through God's eyes. God, God when He directs us, He directs us for the very best. You know, the, the uh, first mention of the Lord's Supper is right here in Corinthians. That's not when it started, but that's, that's the first mention of it. Um... The reality is that uh, the Lord's Supper speaks of our unity together with Christ. Speaks of our unity together as a body. You know, when we share in this, it's something that's, uh, that's common that brings us together. And um, it's, it has to do with joining us to Christ in a special way so when we partake of this you know it's it's uh it's a special moment Um, but you know we have to keep in mind that um, that it doesn't save us from idol worship Um, I was just thinking that um, prophet Isaiah Isaiah mentioned he he talked about how ironic it is to cut down a tree and carve an idol out of part of it and then use the other part to cook your supper with the idol was a part of what you burned up because it meant nothing so a a constant temptation of our time is um, that of idolatry verse 21 all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but all things do not edify let no one seek his own but each other each other's well-being eat whatever is sold in the market asking no questions for conscience' sake for the earth is the lord's and all its fullness if any of you who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go eat whatever is set before you asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you this was offered to idols don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness. Conscience I say not your own but that of the other for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience but if I partake with thanks why am I evil? Spoken of for the food over which I give thanks. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God and give no offense, either to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the church of God. Just as it pleases all men and all things and not seeking our own profit, but the profit for many. You know, Paul didn't lay down an overarching rule for them. He didn't say, here are five things that you do and that you don't do. Um, what he did was he he directed them to function from a conscience sake, and when when you know often when we speak of conscience, it's not it's not Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder, okay? That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. The Holy Spirit is speaking in your ear, and He's directing you. And Paul is just simply saying here, you know, food is food. But if you're gonna hurt somebody by it, or if somebody's going to, going to have wrong, the wrong idea about you or about the God you serve, then don't do it. And you judge, you judge for yourself. You know, there is nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with, uh, I'm just gonna pull something out of the air here, nothing wrong with riding motorcycles. But if it becomes an idol for you, if it becomes your God, and you're replacing God with that, then it's a problem. And if you leave that, and you focus your heart and your life on serving God, and you leave it behind, and then you want to go back to it, but there are people watching you, and they're going to say, oh, he returned back to idol worship, then don't do it. That's basically what Paul is saying. You know, it's easier to agree with the wisdom of the principle. It's easier to agree with what Paul is teaching us than it is to actually do it. It's not easy. It's difficult. You need God. You need God. You need God in your life. You need God in your heart. You need God to overcome all of those temptations. And um, I hope we can learn from Paul. I hope it's not too convoluted. Sometimes it's a little mixed up and I don't feel like I do very well talking about it, but um, I hope we can learn from that. And so, in a few minutes, we are going to pray. Um, We're going to take communion today. And uh, what we'll do is, um, the guys who are going to serve that can serve it, and then when we all have it, then I'll read a scripture and then I'll pray and and we can take it together. So if you guys guys could come down and uh, prepare to serve that, that'd be great. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for the life and for the blood, the body of Jesus. We ask you, Lord, that you would apply it to our lives, that you would cleanse us. We ask you, Lord, that you would direct us and enable us, help us, work in our hearts, remove those things, that need to uh, be out of our life and put those things in our life that need to be there. We want to we bless, we want to honor you, and we thank you for these uh, elements of communion today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Mm-hmm.